welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church and to the service today as we remember the life of a wonderful person, Catherine Lindley. She was for us a mother, a grandmother, a teacher, a friend, and a pillar of a community. As we gather today, we dare to say that we are not alone, but that the promised comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, is with us. So let us be unafraid to declare our hope, but also to grieve honestly, knowing that her death and our tears are precious to him. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, you promise in your word to be present with your people when we are gathered. So here we are, gathered and grieving, rejoicing and lamenting, sweet and bitter. Be with us now during the service. May your Holy Spirit be among your people now, assuring us of your presence with us in this moment and throughout the days and weeks ahead. Amen. rise for the responsive call to worship. Dying Christ destroyed our death. Christ will come again in glory. Here and now, dear friends, we are God's children. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We have gathered here to praise God and to witness to our faith as we celebrate the life of Catherine Lindley. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss, May God grant us grace, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. But thou art my 
may be seated. Join me in the responsive reading. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the Father. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day, but stalks in the darkness or the destruction. Because you have made the Lord your refuge. The Most High is your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. On the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent will trample. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. Rescue them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you again for the chance to gather in your presence. We thank you, God, for the many gifts that you shower on all creation, the sun and the rain, the seasons of the year, many and varied throughout the world, your diverse and manifold creation, which well marks your creativity and power, the joys of human love, brothers and sisters, parents and children. Truly, Lord, you have not left yourself without a witness. You shower your love prodigally on your whole creation, even those who do not know you. We thank you for the life of our friend and mentor, our mother and grandmother and great-grandmother, our teacher and guide, Kay Lindley. Your word teaches us that when your people are empowered by your spirit, we can show your heart to the world. As Christ was sent from the heart of the Father, we are sent by Christ into the world, capable of showing your love when we live truthfully and fearlessly with each other. We thank you for the way that Kay lived truthfully and fearlessly among us. We thank you for her commitment to teaching and learning, so much a part of the DNA of this church and this town. Thank you for the obvious joy that lit her whole being when she was pursuing wisdom and truth. We thank you for her commitment to her family, for her desire to see us flourish and grow, for the pride she took in her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We thank you for her commitment to women, both within her family and as her students. We thank you for her conviction that women are gifted for all sorts of tasks and the way that that conviction liberated so many women and so many men throughout the years. We thank you for the high expectations she had for each of us, the presumption that you have a wonderful life in store for us that we can only really get to know once we commit ourselves to your purposes for our lives. 
even as we thank you for her faithful use of her gifts. We thank you today for the people who called all of this forth from her in the first place, for churches and families and friends and teachers, most of whom we don't know and almost all of whom have long since been gathered safely to you. We give you thanks. As your spirit meets us this morning, awaken in us a desire to not only remember Kay, but to become a church and a family that continues to call forth these gifts in others, both for their sakes and for the life of this world that you love and died for. Make us a people who pass her gifts on so that the world may hear your spirit in the things we say, so that the world may also see your spirit in the outline of our life together. This we ask through Christ. Amen.
be seated. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot shall come out of the stalk of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall judge not by what his eyes see, or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is Ephesians 1, 3 through 19. I'm going to read it in the J.B. Phillips version because that was Grandma's favorite. And this is Grandma's Bible um, from 1941. And not much is marked in it, but this passage is underlined and has notes in it, so that's very special. So, Ephesians 1, 3 through 19. Praise be to God for giving us through Christ every possible spiritual benefit as citizens of heaven. For consider what he has done before the foundation of the world. He chose us to become in Christ his holy and blameless children, living within his constant care. He planned in his purpose of love that we should be adopted as his own children through Jesus Christ, that we might learn to praise that glorious generosity of his, <clears throat> which has made us Excuse me, that we might learn to praise that glorious generosity of his which has made us welcome in the everlasting love he bears towards the Son. It is through the Son, at the cost of his own blood, that we are redeemed, freely forgiven, through that full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives and opened our eyes to the truth. For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan, and it is this. He purposes in his sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in him. And here's the staggering thing, that in all which will one day belong to him, we have been promised a share since we were long ago destined for this by the one who achieves his purpose by his sovereign will, so that we, as the first to put our confidence in Christ, may bring praise to his glory. 
And you, too, trusted him when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And after you gave your confidence to him, you were, so to speak, stamped with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of purchase until the day when God completes the redemption of which he has paid for as his own. And that will again be to the praise of his glory. Since then, I heard of this faith of yours in the Lord Jesus and the practical way in which you are expressing it towards fellow Christians. I thank God continually for you, and I never give up praying for you. And this is my prayer that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the all-glorious Father will give you spiritual wisdom and the insight to know more of him, that you may receive that inner illumination of the Spirit, which will make you realize how great is the hope to which he is calling you, the magnificence and splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians, and how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. Thank you. Well, I want to begin by thanking uh, all of you for being here, and thank you particularly my parents' generation for the honor of conducting the service and speaking this word today. It's not something you ever fully imagine doing, although in the fall of 1998, Grandma and Grandpa took me up to the mall in Buffalo, and I was enrolled in Pastor Mike Walter's uh, pastoral theology class at the college at that time, and I was just talking to them about the class, how much I was enjoying it, and, um, and I said, yeah, we just talked about baptism, and my brother Chris just got baptized, and that was neat, and now we're talking about marriage, and I just was about to get engaged, and that was neat. And then she said, what are you talking about now? <laughs> and I said, funerals. <laughs> she said, watch it. Like, you can picture, watch it, yeah. <laughs> so I never actually imagined doing that, but that memory has stuck with me, and it's a, it's a great honor to be, uh, to be in this place, uh, and thankful that it's 20 years later, 20, 20 good years since then. I want to say up front, this is not a eulogy per se, but a sermon, and I I will share some memories and some impressions, but I also think that we're always in need of a word from the Lord. Uh, The word of God is powerful. It's it's the force that created and sustains the universe, and we need the word of the Lord for our very breath, and I want to attend to the word of God today during our grief. And it is a particularly uh, powerful word. It's not a typical funeral text that was read today. And I have to be honest that when I inherited this text from those who handed it to me, I was a little unsure of how to handle it. Um, My family, again, specifically requested the translation that was read, and uh, I'm thankful that it's a little softer than some other translations, because what Lindley read as we planned, or sorry, he planned that we should be adopted as his own children, other texts read he predestined that we should be adopted as his own children. And uh, if you don't know much about the Wesleyan faith, we're a little nervous about the idea of predestination and how all of that works. And I began to wonder why they chose this text. And I remembered that two of them, since growing up in Houghton, have become Presbyterian. <laughs> and I thought they were just trying to kind of set me up with a minefield as the only, the only Wesleyan grandson forced to preach on predestination to Presbyterians in a Wesleyan church. Uh, 
you could sort of picture grandma actually enjoying such a thing, couldn't you? I, it, <laughs> could picture her sort of, ooh, you know, how is he going to deal with this, you know? So um, I didn't always know how to deal with that part of grandma when I was a kid, in fact. That sort of, the delight she took in that kind of squirming that you'd have to do intellectually from time to time. You would go to visit some grandparents, and they would just simply take you out for ice cream and play miniature golf. And of course, Grandma and Grandpa would take you out for ice cream and play miniature golf with you. But Grandma would always have a question for you on the ride there. Some question that seemed just like a little bit of a high bar to reach. She'd ask you what your favorite book you had been reading recently and why, and you'd have to scroll through the books you had been reading recently, whatever the nine-year-old boy equivalent of Pulp Fiction was, you know, and uh, were there any books that sounded impressive enough to tell Grandma that I had read? Should you just keep quiet that you had basically only read the sports page recently? <laughs> She'd ask you what you thought about politics. She'd ask you what you thought about prayer in schools. She'd ask about current events. She'd ask about women in ministry. And it was all so intimidating, but it was also so very wonderful because not every adult cares what you think about these things. Uh, but Grandma did. So I think Grandma would be pleased if over lunch we all had a rollicking argument about predestination, <clears throat> just so long as it was punctuated with laughter and generosity and supple, flexible minds and hearts. I think that's the thing about Grandma as a young boy, always a people pleaser. I wondered what, what did she want me to say? Which answer was she looking for? Which side did she want me to be on? If I express this perspective, will she give me that kind of disapproving look? And some of you know that disapproving look. You may have received it in a classroom or even in a living room. Uh, if, if I express this perspective, will she approve? What is she thinking? What should I be thinking? What's the combination to unlock grandma? This is, of course, no way to look at the world, is it? Like the world is full of people to placate. Like the world is full of minds to dodge, locks to crack. And that's not how Grandma wanted me to look at the world. To her, the thinking was the thing. Not so much as where you, or where you landed as why you landed there. Did you believe this because some authority told you to? And if so, why this authority instead of that authority? Did you believe what you did because you feared the alternative? Did you believe what you did because you didn't feel free to believe anything else? Did you examine the scriptures without fear, trusting that God loves you? Or did you look at scripture and see only what fear had conditioned you to see? Grandma asked me questions. Grandma, I'm sure, asked all of us questions. Because she knew what a gift it was to, to learn and to teach without fear. And she wanted me to know that I could learn without fear. And now she helps me to preach and teach, at least on my best days, without fear. To say clearly what is on my mind without being afraid of repercussions. To listen well and to change my mind when necessary without being afraid of what that might entail. She taught me not to be a reliable liberal or a reliable conservative. But to think with the scriptures and to think with the church and to think with my mind and to think with my heart. And I imagine that you also can see her fingerprints on your life when you find yourself able to think well and to love well without being afraid. She wanted all of her students to think without fear. She wanted all of us to be thoroughly inconvenient to the ruling powers of the age, since we are, after all, at war with those powers, aren't we? 
She wanted her family and her students to be no one's useful idiots, but to live in gospel freedom. And being in Houghton has taught me about what a legacy she left, about not being afraid to think and to love. And that's no small feat for a 20th or 21st century evangelical Christian. Well, anyway, back to predestination. I think, that, I think that when we have that great discussion over lunch, or when we have that argument over lunch, we will probably rehash the ways that Christians have always argued this. One side says, any God that predestines this stuff doesn't sound like a very loving God. Huzzah, Wesleyans. And others will say, any God that doesn't predestine this stuff doesn't really sound very powerful, does he? At least that's the way the argument typically goes. I wonder, though, sometimes if we don't miss what the text is saying. If we can lay aside for a second the question of whatever it means that we were predestined or planned for something, if we can just lay that aside for a minute and think about the question, what have we been predestined or called to? Whatever it means that this was planned for us, what was planned for us? The text talks about five main gifts that have been given to us. Adoption, the fact that in Christ we've been made children of God. Redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We've known the mystery of his will. So in Christ we have a glimpse into the mind and the heart of the Father. In Christ we have a true sense of how things really are. Fourth, an inheritance, a rich right that belongs to us as sons and daughters of God. And fifth, we have the Holy Spirit. The indwelling God with us who points us back to Jesus and who lives inside of us and empowers us to be Christ in this moment. These five things are God's gifts to us. So picture in your mind if God gives us this gift and we end up spending a lot of time arguing so much about what the gift means that we forget that the main point of this tremendous gift that God has given us is that it's ours. God gives us a gift. He wants us to live in that gift. And we argue about the precise nature of the gift and what exactly the gift means for other people. But God wants us to live in the gift. Well, Grandma, I'm sure, definitely appreciated the fine points of this argument. I'm sure that she, had, she probably had this argument with many of you in her life. I mercifully dodged that one with Grandma. But, but she knew how to argue this point. I, I, I understand. But Grandma... What I'm trying to say this morning is that Grandma also knew how to live in the gift. So one of the things I hadn't really known much about Grandma was her spiritual life. And a few years ago, I I stumbled onto a, a blog post written by one of her former students talking about how Grandma was a very important teacher to her. And in there, I read all the usual things I read about my grandmother. And some of you have said them to me. And you could probably rehearse them, but I'll just say, I mean, there's the usual, you know, she taught people, she taught particularly young Christian women that they could be thinking and Christian, that Jesus wanted them to be thinking people. There was the stuff about how she seemed to have this wonderful integrated picture of the world. She moved from author to author and in and out of art and music and philosophy and history to give a a coherent picture of the world. But what I really didn't know about Grandma was something the student mentioned about the devotions that she would do before class. And the student mentioned that she would start her class by reading something from her own rich devotional life. And she said, a paragraph from Calvin, not to again make things uncomfortable for the Wesleyans in the room, but a paragraph from Calvin, an excerpt from Brother Lawrence, 
an anecdote from St. Francis of Assisi. And then the writer said, she'd be off on the subject of the day. The most purposeful, insightful, demanding teacher I'd ever had or would have. When I teach here at the college, I'm very unsure about starting class with a devotion. It always seems a little trite, you know, overly pious. But I, I love the thought of Grandma sitting and sharing something with her students from her own devotional life. And Calvin and Brother Lawrence and Francis of Assisi are three wildly disparate figures in the church, but she read them all. I know, I know that funerals are a bad place to write authoritative biographies about what a person was really like. I know that funerals are a bad place to say, I've unlocked the secret of who this person is. It's particularly a bad idea when the honoree was a brilliant historian who, were she alive, could poke holes in your theories about what made her tick with chilling ease. (laughs) So I say this with every bit of proper historical humility. But I don't think it's too much to say that Grandma wouldn't start class with devotions because she was particularly pious or because she felt the need to baptize education. It's not like she thought that education was this inherently secular process which needed a Christian imprimatur. She knew that education itself honored Jesus. She didn't need to have a devotional to show Jesus how serious she was. But I think Grandma introduced students to that sort of literature because she knew what it meant to live in the gift. And she knew that she was about to lead her students through something rigorous and challenging, something that was going to push them beyond what they were used to. And she knew that if her students were to go through that rigorous process of learning, of questioning everything, of testing everything, if they would do all that, they needed to know that God loved them enough to do that terrifying thing of examining why you thought what you did. For Grandma, learning was a way of finding God and honoring God. And if you were going to do that well, you needed to know that God is love. One of the keepsakes of Grandma that I treasure, and I, I don't know how this fell to me, but it's this. And I don't imagine it's precious to anybody else but me, but I'm, so I'm glad I got it. It's her copy of Henry Nouwen's book, The Way of the Heart. And uh, it was published in 1981. So about six years before she retired. I didn't know she loved Nowen. I knew I loved Nowen. And then when I saw that Grandma did too, I thought, I got it from somewhere. (laughs) In the book, The Way of the Heart, and I can imagine her sharing this with her classes too. It says Lindley right in the front. So I just hang on to it. And whenever I refer to this book in class, I always use this copy. But Nowen says this. Prayer helps us to discern which of our activities are indeed for the glory of God and which are primarily for the glory of our unconverted ego. Prayer is indeed the way to the purity of heart that gives us eyes to see the reality of our own existence. This purity of heart allows us to see more clearly, not, excuse me, to see more clearly not only our own needy, distorted, and anxious self, but also the caring face of our compassionate God. When that vision remains clear and sharp, it will be possible to move into the midst of a tumultuous world with a heart at rest. It is this restful heart that will attract those who are groping to find their way through life. When we have found our rest in God, we can do nothing other than minister. 
God's rest will be visible wherever we go and whoever we meet. Well, I can think of no more apt descriptor of college students than those who are groping to find their way through life. And in the end, it wasn't just Grandma's brilliant and incisive mind that was so helpful to students finding their way, though that was no doubt part of who she was. It was the fact that something in her, something about her presence, told those students that she had a heart that was at rest, that she knew the living God, that she probably that very day had been living in the gift that Ephesians talks about. Something in her, something about her presence said to her students, I don't just know my subject matter, but I teach it without fear because I know a God who has made me fearless. That's what it means to live in the gift, to know that we have received and received and received from God so we can give ourselves away without fear. And this is one of the most impressive things about Grandma to me. I feared for her as she aged. I think we all did. She was so brilliant. And her mind just saw all of these connections. Connections the rest of us just would never see but seemed so obvious when she would bring them out. She was so sharp. How would she deal with the process of aging and losing the ability to make those connections? And I was amazed at the way she seemed to be happy. I mean, not raucously happy, not as happy as she was when she was teaching, but, but it didn't seem to me that she felt like she herself had been lost. As she lost the ability to think well, she somehow still seemed at peace. And, and I know a whole host of things goes into that, and some of it is just luck of the draw. I understand that. I've known other people who were deeply godly people, but somehow when their minds failed, they turned depressed and grouchy. I'm not condemning that at all. But I'm saying something about grandma's remaining content had something to do with the way that she was at rest. The way she knew that the God who gave her the gifts was more precious than the gifts themselves. This was part of her legacy for me. <coughs> Paul closes this passage with a bit of a rhetorical flourish. And he says to the Ephesians this, I've heard about your faith. I thank God continually for you. I never give up praying for you. Paul was prone to overstatement, but you get the point. And this is what he prays when he prayed. That God would give you grace to know the gifts that you have received. He says, I I pray that God will give you wisdom and insight to know more of him. I pray that God will give you the inner illumination of the spirit, which will make you realize how great this gift is and how great the hope is that you've received, how magnificent and splendid is the inheritance promised to us, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. This is a wonderful thing to ponder today. How rich are the gifts that God gives us. How great the hope available to us. The hope that we have received. How magnificent and splendid is the proper inheritance as children of God. And we hear this and we say, yeah, I get it. I mean, life with God is good. But, but I don't think we realize how often we settle for less. I am morally obligated to say this at every funeral I perform. Death is a terrible thing. Grandma's last decade was a slow decline. The last two and a half weeks of her life were an excruciating vigil for her family. And the temptation is always there to say, death is a blessing, it is a relief, it's a good thing. And and I've certainly said some variant on this in the last few days as I've thought about how glad I am that Grandma's not suffering anymore. 
and that her, her next moment of awareness will be in the presence of her Savior and her family and the church she loved. But death is never a good thing. The world has lost a valiant mind and a brave woman. The world has lost a voice for justice. The, lo- the world has lost a woman who insisted on her full humanity in a religious context that didn't always appreciate that. But she did it anyway, not for her own sake, but so that the young women in her care would know that they too could and should insist on their full humanity and enjoy it. And so that the young men in her care would know that the women in their lives are not temptresses or prizes, but they are people. The world has lost someone who made this place what it is, who insisted that this church and this college live up to its gospel charter instead of capitulating to the spirit of the age. So we dare never say that death is a good thing. Death robs us of our friends, silences brilliant people, takes loved ones from us. And death keeps us from knowing the kind of uninterrupted intimacy and friendship that was present in the Garden of Eden. And only when we acknowledge the reality of death can we begin to grasp what Paul is saying. That in Christ, God has overcome death. That God has made death his servant. That God has made death his plaything. That God has made death do his bidding. God has taken death, that thing that separates us from each other, that thing that rips apart families, that ultimate threat that hangs over our lives and allows the politicians to say what they want to say and uh, put fear into those who follow. God has taken that thing and has made death the thing that ushers us into his presence. Where, O death, is your victory, writes Paul. Where is your sting? Death is not the will of God, but God, in his mercy and in his glory, has made death do his will. How tremendous is this power available to us who believe in God. How bright the illumination of the Spirit which reveals this. When we know this, when we really know it, not just in our head but in our guts, we can live without fear. If death has no sting, if death has no power, then what are we afraid of? And for all intents and purposes, that fear kills too many people before we've even had the chance to live. And thank God it did not take this one before her time. When we fear, we never ask questions like Grandma asked. When we fear, we never seek truth like Grandma sought it. When we fear, we never live, but we just try to survive. But Paul wants us to know, and I think Grandma wants us to know, that in Christ, death has lost its sting. So we can live without fear. We can love without fear. We can learn without fear. We can question without fear. We can give ourselves to others without fear. So let's argue predestination over lunch, shall we? Let's test our best theories and take joy in argument for argument's sake, knowledge for knowledge's sake. Let's dive boldly into the contingent, challenging, fleshly questions of humanity. Let's peer unafraid into those things into which angels long to look. Let's argue. Let's learn. But let us never learn as those who have no hope, whose grief at their own loneliness leads them to fear and anxiety and dread but let's learn as those who live in the gift. Would you pray with me? God, for the tremendous gift that is ours in Christ, we give you thanks. For the thought, God, that we don't need to be afraid, we give you thanks. For this one who taught taught so many of us that by the way that she lived, we give you thanks. 
be with us as we remember for the rest of this service, her life, and in the gathering time afterward as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand as we sing a hymn together.
You may be seated, and now we'll just have a few folks share memories, so just come in order, Shirley Mullen and Uncle Mark. Like many of us in this room, Dr. Catherine Lindley's story is inextricably linked with the story of Houghton College. And I want to thank personally the family today for deciding to come back and hold this service of remembrance and celebration here in Houghton so that all of us who knew Dr. Lindley from here could celebrate with you today and also mourn with you. So thank you so much for choosing to do the service here. God worked on Dr. Lindley through Houghton College when she was a student from 1939 to 1943. Then he invited her to partner with him as a faculty member in the work of Houghton College from 1963 to 1989. It is this mysterious divine human partnership that she spent her life pondering as a student of history and it was this adventurous cosmic fellowship into which she invited her students. It is my privilege today to speak both as Houghton's president and on behalf of the legions of Houghton graduates for whom the trajectory of their lives were shaped in this place through the impact of Dr. Catherine Lindley. Kay Wahlberger Lindley came to Houghton, like many of our students today, from a small town in central New York she was a first-generation college student. In fact, she was the only one of her large family of siblings to attend college. Her time at the college coincided with the first four years of the Second World War, which was traumatic certainly for our world and for our nation, but also for this small college. Dr. Lindley witnessed the enrollment of Houghton dip to around 200 students and knew the sobering impact of wondering if her beloved alma mater would survive. It hardly seems coincidental that an unusual number of students from those wartime years, including Kay Lindley, but also Warren and Ella Phelps-Wolsey, Ruth Fancher Hutton, and Arnold Cook returned to invest their lives in this place. After a brief stint of high school teaching in Portville, New York, Dr. Lindley continued her studies in European history at the University of Wisconsin, where she met and married Kenneth Lindley, a veteran of the Navy, on his way to becoming an electrical engineer. For nearly 15 years, the Lindleys lived in the Midwest, where Dr. Ken Lindley pursued his work in electrical engineering, and Dr. Kay Lindley took primary responsibility for raising the four children who now sit before us down here. From a human standpoint, it was something of a mistake that brought the doctors Lindley back to Houghton. In 1962, Dr. Ken Lindley received a letter inviting him to come to fill a position in Houghton's history department. He wrote back that he was not, in fact, in the field of history. That was his wife. He was in science. All the better came the return answer. We could use both a historian and a scientist. And so began the two and a half decades during which Drs. Ken and Kay Lindley devoted themselves fully even sacrificially, I might add, to the work of Houghton College. We would not be what we are today without their work. 
the new science building, as I still think of it, uh, that most of you know as pain science, stands as a visible tribute to the care and attention of Dr. Ken Lindley, at that time division chair of science and mathematics. For the impact of Dr. Catherine Lindley, you must look to the living monuments of her students. Nearly a thousand Houghton alumni were history or political science majors during her time in that department. But that does not begin to account for the impact of her uh, life on students. She also taught several thousand Western Civ students in addition to her major classes. Dr. Lindley will be forever associated in my mind with three themes which shaped the lives of her students as well as the Houghton College that we know today. And as I listened to Michael Jordan this morning, I was struck by how much integrity there is in what we all remember about Dr. Lindley. And I think you'll see that in these three themes I mentioned today. First, she was committed to drawing us as both the college and as individual students. In fact, pulling us or pushing us if necessary into a large vision of the world. It was not enough that we learn Western civilization or American history. She pioneered in the teaching of Russian history and the history of East Asia, even at the expense of at least one parent suspecting in those Cold War days that she was really a communist. <laughs> and I, I must add here that she used to mention this, I swear, with a hint of delight. I, I suspect that Kay enjoyed keeping people, at least some people, just a bit off kilter. She pushed her students to travel to Washington, D.C. for the newly developed American Studies program of the CCCU, to Europe as part of the Gordon Tour before we had our own travel programs, and on summer mission trips. As a senior faculty member, she called her colleagues, most explicitly in her Founders Day address in 1986, to move beyond the luxury and safety of Houghton's anonymity and insularity to engage the larger scholarly world. She eschewed the idea that anyone would come to a Christian liberal arts college like Houghton to be sheltered. The whole point of getting this kind of education was so that God could use us for his purposes outside of this place. She made her voice on campus felt while she was here primarily through her strong presence as the division chair of history and social science. As Daryl Stevenson, a student who later became a colleague on the faculty wrote, as a colleague, Kay always had the gravitas to make her point known and understood. People listened to her. As a junior faculty member, it was apparent to me that she was among the folks who ran the college. I should add here, some might argue that Kay is still among the folks who run the college. Seven, seven of the current members of the Board of Trustees are Kay's former history majors. I don't know if anyone has noticed that, but I think it is noteworthy. Second, Kay was committed to fearless, that word again, pursuit of one's potential. She believed that each student had gifts that they needed to discover and then to steward for the sake of the world. She took it as her personal and particular assignment to notice those gifts, to name them, to develop them, and then to stand with us as we took steps to connect these gifts with places of impact in the world. 
this standing with us took uh, strong form sometimes. One alum, who shall remain nameless, wrote that when he went for his interview to law school, he was told that it was the strong recommendation from Dr. Kay Lindley that impressed the admissions committee the most about his application. He added that that was a little bit humbling, but he did get into law school. She pushed us out of our proverbial comfort zone to take risks. She gave many of us our first opportunity to teach. She pushed students to apply not just to the law schools or grad schools that they thought they could get into, but to top schools like Harvard and Cornell and Virginia and other schools of that caliber. You see this pushing to reach, to reach one's potential clearly in the words of her students. And I want to very quickly run through some actual words from a number of her former students. Uh, Sheila DiTullio, class of 1977. Dr. Lindley gave me the gift of confidence, the gift of hope, the will to work and fight and believe. Mary Morehouse Green, class of 1968. She taught me much about critical thinking and not being satisfied with simple solutions to complex problems. Kevin Knowlton, class of 1979. She always encouraged us to think deeply and to think Christianly, which I might add here, did not mean to think formulaically or simplistically. Terry Sly, class of 1979. It's hard to imagine what my life would be like without her influence. Bruce Gross, class of 1967. She pulled ideas out of me and thoughts that I never knew were there. She encouraged me to put these thoughts and ideas into words and to publicly defend them. Our final exam in one class, according to Bruce, was one question, trace the development of the concept of equality from Plato to the present. I remember questions like that. <laughs> Dr. Lindley, according to Bruce, threw me a lifeline at a time of desperate need. God used, to transform my, God used her to transform my vision and my life. For that, I am eternally grateful. Gary Daler, class of 1973. When I was studying with Dr. Lindley, and long after, I was sure that I was the best and brightest and most beloved student that she had ever had. Later, I met others who thought that <laughs> They were the best and brightest and most beloved student that she had ever had. This led me to realize that one of Dr. Lindley's great attributes as a teacher was to make so many of her students feel in that special way. Third and foundational to everything else, I remember Dr. Lindley's unshakable confidence in the faithfulness of God. As Michael has already said this morning, and I was interested in this comment, I would not call Dr. Lindley a pious person either, at least not in the stereotypic sense. She even used to skip Sunday evening church on occasion, which, while we don't have a Sunday evening service today, which shows how far down we've slid, <laughs> skipping Sunday evening church was just not done in the days that she was here. Her devotional choice for class included not just the scripture, or the names such as Michael mentioned, but often Dag Hammerskold. Harriet Olson, class of 1981, commented, I've often wondered, 
since learning more about the United Nations and Hammarskjöld, what drew her to his reflections? The connections to the class material are clear enough, but his life experience and journey was hardly orthodox in a narrow Wesleyan way. Or perhaps, she says, that was the point, opening us to contributions and reflections from a wide range of thinkers and persons with gravitas. Dr. Lindley's was a large and generous Christianity, born out of her own earnest hungering and thirsting after God during her own college years, as she shared much later in a letter to her daughter, Eileen. Anyone who studied with Dr. Lindley knew for certain that she believed in God's faithfulness in her own life, in God's plans for her students, in God's purposes for Houghton College, and in his sovereignty over human history. One student wrote that he always remembers her devotions on Psalm 37, 25. I was young and now am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Tim Nichols, class of 1981, captured this impact in an especially powerful way. I went through periods of doubt as a college student, never more than in 1981 when six of my friends were killed in an automobile accident. There were times when the world in general, and God in particular, did not make sense. I remember on one occasion in those days thinking, Dr. Lindley is the most brilliant person I've ever known. If Christianity can make sense to her, then I guess I'll continue to hang on to it. I have one of Dr. Lindley's books. She offered me a choice of her books when she was moving from their home on Park Drive, and I still remember that day because there were just piles and piles of books in the study at the house up there. It was tempting to choose one of her many history books, but at the time, the book that seemed to capture most fully the impact of Dr. Lindley on my life was J.I. Packer's Knowing God. I treasure the underlinings in the book as much as the book itself, for they speak to what she valued in J.I. Packer. I close my comments today with one such passage that speaks of what I believe she would want us to remember about her own journey, as well as her advice to each of us as individuals and to her beloved Houghton College. Quote, wait on the Lord is a constant refrain in the Psalms, and it is a necessary word to us, for God often keeps us waiting. He is not in such a hurry as we are, and it is not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present, or to guide us more than one step at a time. When in doubt, do nothing. Continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. On behalf of Houghton College as an institution and the many alumni whose lives bear today the mark of her impact, I thank God for the way that he used Dr. Catherine Lindley and continues to use her every day as an instrument of his light in our lives.
morning. I've only been in this pulpit a few times. I always find it a little intimidating, but good morning. On behalf of uh, all my family, I want to thank you so much uh, to the Houghton community for your warm welcome to our family. Um, it's been wonderful to be back in this, uh, this loving community that means so much to all of us. You do forget a little bit of how much snow Houghton can get in March, but and one of our kids got introduced to what the snow belt was late Thursday night. Um, the church, the college, the community, you've all been so gracious to us and wrapped us in your arms, and we really, we really are grateful. Michael, thank you so much uh, for the gift to the family of conducting the service. We appreciate it much. And Michael and Jill, um, thank you so much for all your logistical support this week. Mike and Jill opened their home last night to all of their cousins' children um, uh, and arranged babysitters for today and have just done so much to help us. And thank you both uh, for, and your whole family for that. Thank you for being with us today to honor Kay Lindley, my mom. I'm sure the irony um, is not lost on you that I stand before you, not one of the three strong women that mom mothered, but her son. Uh, whatever the reason, I'm glad to be chosen for this distinct honor, speaking on behalf of my sisters and brothers. Um, I do hope I get through it. Not much chance of that. Uh, before we get started, I have to acknowledge mom's care team. Uh, a nurse practitioner and a lawyer walked into a senior facility. Um, sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Some uncle would tell at an inappropriate time. <laughs> Not gonna do that. In our case though, it describes the power couple of caregiving, more commonly known as Eileen and Lois. Margie and I have done our bit from far away, uh, but uh, over the past 12 years, since mom and dad moved to Friends Village in Woodstown, New Jersey, to make things easier for Lois. <laughs> when mom has needed care, help, decisions, moving, doctor visits, more decisions, more help, moving again, time and again, day after day, and <laughs> long year after long year, it's been Lois and Eileen. They have complementary skills and temperaments they, they're committed to each other's well-being. Uh, that was part of the key to their success. In the final years, they both were most worried that one of them would be gone at a crucial moment and the other would have to face things alone. That's the kind of care they gave each other. And mom would have loved that, did love it. They're constant, firm, thoughtful, and when needed, being a little insistent manner. Uh, their presence at Friends Village helped mom get the right care. And I'm very sure this carried over to the care of the other residents on that unit. When mom transitioned to hospice four weeks ago, the nurse indicated the staff hadn't had much experience with patients who had been in hospice for more than a few days. Too commonly, people get it just at the end. And, and the staff might need a little help to know what that would look like. We like to think that mom gave her final lesson to the staff there. <laughs> a demonstration of how, how to die with dignity and grace, surrounded by love. And let me hurry to add their supportive spouses, John and Marsh, um, to this team. They've been there for mom and my sisters constantly. The team at Friends gave wonderful care as well, and I want to just acknowledge um, how they were there for mom through all our ups and downs. One of our constant lights was Patience. Can you imagine a better name for a social worker? Patience cared for us as well. She understood us, our intensity, um, um, our commitment to mom to getting the best care with the right focus. Nurse Mary, who kept in touch even as she went back and forth from friends in a way. These were two people of many that helped us through this journey, and I want to thank them. 
I struggled with what to say here today. You know, it's easy, uh, it's easy to focus on mom's many accomplishments and successes. Um, they're considerable. I love dwelling on them, um, and we do celebrate them. But we have to remember mom as a historian, and she would not be pleased if we, took, if we didn't take a look at the whole story, all the facets, and use it as a guide to go forward. She saw her field of history as a tool to understand where we came from, but more importantly, to look forward. You can hear her saying, people, how can we know where we're going if we don't know where we have come from? She absolutely hated the notion that history was just a collection of dots on the map um, or dates. For anyone, man or woman, who looks and sees Kay Lindley, the successful woman who was able to have both a wonderful and successful academic career and success as a mother with a great family here to, to be the proof for it, she might, and might see her as a role model, and certainly do, many do, but know this, there were lots of choices and struggles to make that happen. But all along the way, there was her firm, firm faith. A faith that was determined um, to also embrace reason. Not a faith to be, that thought all would be easy, but a faith that had confidence that if she was faithful and put her talents and energy into God's hands, she would be where God intended her to be and that it would be good. At her core, mom was a woman of faith. It was deep, it was very real to her, and she passed it on to each of us who knew her. It was born in the camp meetings of central New York, nurtured here at Houghton. It was reinforced with her relationship with dad. It allowed her to make decisions and choices of life's directions. She could go forward confident that her mind would, not, would be okay, her mind would not be wasted if she stayed home and raised four children, and that her family would be okay when she resumed her career. It helped her weather the loss of her dear sister Helen at a young age, it supported her when she and dad moved to a trailer on the Colorado Prairie the summer after they married. Really good use for a PhD there. It sustained her when dad, she and dad moved to Iowa for him to do his PhD. It sustained her when they left the community and home they'd built together in Brookings uh, to come to Houghton. And it sustained her through the many changes and losses that the recent years of decline forced upon her. Let me read an example of that faith from the early time of mom and dad's relationship. We, we have a wonderful treasure trove of letters that mom and dad passed back and forth during those summers that they were apart. She wrote, so do I continue working on my PhD if we marry? I thought a great deal about this over the weekend, ended up getting very lonesome, not finding any answers. This did occur to me, however, when I remember the regular peculiar way God has led us, led our lives, I wonder if perhaps God doesn't have a very special work for us to do for which we've been fitted. I think we'll find out if we hold steady. I'm not the type that wants marriage and a career. I've never wanted a career particularly, yet I know the Lord has been leading my life. And we know that, we know that, that happened. Mom did complete the PhD, of course. She loved telling the story of her major professor, congratulating her on her PhD at graduation, assuring her of his confidence that she would be very productive. Clueless man that he was, he was not aware of how immediately productive she would be. Mom chuckled, knowing that little Lois was with her under the graduation robes. Ready to, born, ready to be born, not two months later. Mom became a professor at a time when most women had to choose between a career or home. So mom made a choice. Uh, and for 14 years, she was a full-time mom. Many of you may not know that. Some of my own children didn't know that. Um, she was a full-time mom for 14 years. Our Brookings neighborhood and the Young Wesleyan Church that they were part of were very busy places. Um, I don't remember those years directly, but I have looked at the primary sources. I've seen the Kodachromes, heard the stories. Her dear friend June told me recently that there were 46 children in their two-block area at that day. June describes mom's very active life, wearing many hats, Girl Scout leader, 
choir banquets in the basement, Sunday school picnics in parks, families living and creating life together. Strong women putting their minds and muscle into creating experiences that fostered community. That small church of which mom and dad were early members now hosts 1,500 on Sunday mornings and 600 jackrabbits, South Dakota State University students, on Sunday evenings. Productive for the kingdom, indeed. Moving to Houghton in 1963, mom put the academic robes back on and stepped back into her teaching career. She carried those mom skills with her. I can tell you that she most certainly brought the professor skills home. <laughs> for the next 30 years or so, she lived the full, too full life of a Houghton faculty. We got a wonderful insight into how mom blended these two roles uh, when she turned 90. We invited cards and letters to celebrate her and received many, many, many wonderful things. I had a chance to look over that in December when I was visiting mom, and this theme was recalled over and again. Um, mom had touched people's lives in the context of their studies, but with a very meaningful personal contact, as a mother might do, letting a child do, but being there with the gentle guidance. So there's an excerpt from one letter which I thought captured this well. I had a number of classes from you, but I remember you most as a wise and kind friend and counselor. You were advisor to two of us. We enjoyed many cups of tea with you in your office. As freshmen, we excelled, but as a sophomore, I fell asleep regularly in your 8 a.m. modern Europe class, and then I flunked the first exam. You called me into your office and said, we both know you can do the work. What's the problem? I got back on track. You showed care and compassion to me as a student. I was far from home, from parents, but still cared for, knowing this meant a lot to me. I learned so much from you about history, but I learned the most about how to mentor young women. You were a strong influence on my life at just the right time. I thank God for you. I remember you as a strong, wise woman with a tender heart and love for God and your students. Mom also lived the liberal arts. When advisees expressed an interest outside their area, uh, she encouraged them to explore it, take other courses. She was forever sending pre-law students over to take math classes. And many of her pre-law students started out as pre-med. Quoting one letter, Ken Lindley was why I came to Houghton, but Kay Lindley was why I stayed at Houghton. She was the catalyst for many students, taking their mix of interests and seeing how they might meld together into a future. No surprise, she exercised the same gift at home for us. She encouraged us to learn, to think, broaden our horizons, travel, to not be afraid to follow our passions and let the good Lord figure out how to use them. Many of you know mom as a mentor in her academic role. That was a gift mom used at home too. We had lots of conversations about the future to be sure. Growing up, mom and I also had more focused history conversations about my recent history and choices I made. But her grandchildren will recall many wonderful conversations with mom. She wanted to hear what they were doing, where they wanted to go, what they wanted to do. And it's logical that mom was a mentor to many young women but many young men and male colleagues and even sons and grandsons had the important experience of working in a com in community with a strong, capable woman. To talk with my mom was a rare treat, someone who listened well and heard things in what you were saying that you hadn't realized. And that gift survived long into dementia. It was amazing. Helping to make connections between experiences and aspirations was a particular gift. She saw our capabilities far more expansively than we did. Sharing a cup of tea, a symbol of taking time to sit down and indulge in conversation, shows up time and again in these letters as well. I enjoy the vision of mom having many interesting tea times in the days ahead. No challenge was harder uh, for her and, and for us to watch than her decline with dementia. Early on, she told me somehow she knew that memory loss might happen. Mark, I didn't ex I expected this, but I didn't expect to be so aware of it. She did not like that. 
When she moved to Evergreen, the memory unit at, at Friends, she recognized her new neighbor's um, deficits and concluded she must be worse off than she realized. But she was game. She took with incredible courage and grace, she moved forward. She was that favorite patient who bantered with staff, who asked an aide how she was doing and encouraged them. Even at the end, we heard her ask an aide after being tended to, now what can I do to help you? Newer patients who needed a friend or help adjusting who were often chosen for mom's table at mealtime. She learned to appreciate lots of new things, new forms of music from Don banging on old hymn tunes to the nice lady who played guitar. Until her very last days, she was able to join with us in singing hymns, often when we thought she was unable to hear us. The example she set in illness was at least as powerful as the one she set in health. Mom, I hope this does some justice to your memory. You've been such a presence in our lives, and you will continue to be. I really can't imagine our world without you in it. I will try to trust God as you did. I'll surely never reach that standard. Our great fortune is that you will continue to live on in us. I enjoy seeing you and Dad, you and Dad, in, our, in your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. They're a great legacy and credit to you both. They will carry your memory forth in their hearts. We all will. Be it so. There's, uh, there's at least one uh, granddaughter who'd like to share something, so Kate Jones. I don't know if there are others, so we'll leave it open for uh, another family member to share if they wish, and if not, we'll move on to prayer afterward. Good morning. I'm Kate, and I'm Eileen's oldest daughter. As I have thought over the wonderfully full life of Catherine Lindley, of who I am named, I realized I could summarize her into three words, book, rock, and cookie. It may sound strange to sum up someone who has had such an impact on so many into three simple words, but I feel that they truly embody my grandmother. Book summarizes her incredible journey in learning and her desire for others to learn. As I have read your blogs, your sweet comments, heard your words today, I know that my grandmother, that you heard of her love for her classes and how she inspired you to grow in knowledge and insight. Others of you have said how you possess a coveted book from her library. I too have books. I hated reading. <laughs> it was a torturous experience to complete my summer reading, and I would lament to Grandma pretty much every summer break about the drudgery of school. When she asked me what subject I enjoyed, I remember telling her it was history because of the stories. Well, the next time she came to see me, she had a book for me on World War II, and I devoured it. Every time I would see her, she would have another book for me to read. I read everything from war strategies to stories of individuals who had lived through it. She continually challenged me to read and learn more, and to this day, I love reading because she invested in me and created that bond. The second item was a rock. Now, this represents two things. First being that I had many collections growing up, stamps, rocks, really anything that I thought my mom might throw away. Yes, Mom, the string on the floor is part of my string collection. Everybody has them. <laughs> but truly, my grandfather and grandmother took amazing trips. I'll keep the names of the countries a secret, but on each trip, she would remember this rock collection and bring me back a very important piece of history. Yet the rock in this particular context stands for her steadfast faith. Many of you have said that you have stayed connected to the vine because of grandmother's testimony. Perhaps she was your Bible study leader, or your vacation Bible school teacher, 
or you simply sat in the same Sunday school class as her, or perhaps she wrote you a letter about remaining steadfast in your walk with God. However you experienced her, you were challenged to grow by your faith in her, by her example. Lastly, a cookie. Grandma loved to bake. <laughs> if you've ever had the honor of being served her blueberry buckle, you would amen this one. She has taught many of her children and grandchildren the Wahlburger art of yielding a rolling pin. But one story that comes to mind is the year that I decided to play volleyball. Now you should know I was not given the gift of height. Somehow I'm the only one in my family that was overlooked in the vertical department, but I was excited to occupy the back row of a volleyball court. This particular summer, Houghton College had a volleyball camp, and I thought it might be a neat way to learn the game. My dear sister, who loves field hockey, decided to come with me, and we brought a few friends. I am a complete homebody, so by Wednesday night, I needed some home time. We decided after a rigorous time of drills, it'd be a great idea to walk up the hill to see Grandma. It was really more like a scene from Saving Private Ryan. Go save yourself and dragging each other up a hill. But we made it. We opened up the garage door, found her grandpa kept that key and opened that back door and the smell of cookies hit us. We sure found our legs then as we ran up the stairs. Grandma yelled as I entered the kitchen. Katiekin, that's what she always called me. She had made cookies. I don't really remember what was said that night. I was pretty, easy, pretty busy eating milk and cookies. But as I look back, I picture us in that kitchen around that table, and I see Grandma investing in my sister, myself, and our two friends. All of us grandchildren have amazing memories of Houghton. We used to learn about the, American, the Native Americans that inhabited this area, and we'd go find wigwams in the backyard. Marineland was always a popular destination for us. Beth, I'm pretty sure she rode that with us at least 10 times. Grandma loved her family and shared her home with all who was around her. Everyone and anyone was welcome at that house at the hill. Catherine Lindley leaves a legacy that has touched and shaped so many of us here. As we honor her, let us strive to be the book, the rock, and the cookie for those we serve and interact with. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Chris Jordan. I'm one of the grandchildren, one of the youngest grandchildren. I apologize if I stumble through this. I wasn't going to write anything down, and then I decided at the last minute to change what I was going to say, and then it needed to be written down, and my handwriting's not that great. I have to apologize to my brother, Mike. This says sermon notes on it, but they're not actually sermon notes. When the service was first being planned, I, I knew I wanted to say something, but um, I couldn't really understand what words I wanted to say. I told a friend at the time that the emotions were so clear and vivid in my mind, but I did not know any of the words that would make them clear to anyone else. It occurred to me that the grandma I knew best was different from the woman that many here remember. I don't recall Kay Lindley, the professor, for example, Although I do vividly remember her teaching me at about eight years old that I really should be saying Luke and I want to play outside, not me and Luke want to play outside. Over 20 years later, I still remember that lesson. It's a great 
ideal for all of us who are teachers out here. Uh, For good reason, stories of her as a teacher and a mentor will be shared and celebrated and remembered during this time. But there is a different kind of story that I also want to tell you about. I was... uh, I had just graduated from high school when Grandma and Grandpa moved down to New Jersey to be closer to family. And at that time, the memory loss and uh, other difficulties that afflicted her, Grandma especially, had already begun. Um, And yes, she was changing. She was, I knew, a softer Grandma than many of my cousins and older siblings. But from that day through the very last day, and as others have said throughout her entire life, she was a rock of love. When memories and faces and names were taken from her, she was still so loving in every encounter, still so interested in my life as I went to college, as I met a girl, got married, had kids. Every single time I got to come home and visit my parents, it was also a chance to visit my grandma and show her what was going on with my life. And she loved me through all of it. Even when she no longer had the ability to teach people explicitly, she was still modeling what a life of faith and love could look like. She faced decline and death, not with a a, a sense of naivety or denial, but with audacity. And she continued to love her family with that same audacity through the last. This morning before the service, some of us were up here singing, and one of the songs we sang was in the garden. That was also a song I was privileged to sing with my parents and some aunts and uncles by her side a few days before she passed. But what most of you don't know is that's also the song that my son, when he was two and a half years old, every single night, the nightly request for bedtime was garden song. And at two and a half, he was singing the words along with us. It it fills me with comfort, yes, but also with awe and wonder that now Grandma is living out that song. As the chorus says, she is walking and talking through a garden with Jesus in a way that she could never do on earth. My son will not have the privilege of singing that song with my grandmother. But I know that he is going to benefit from having or growing up and living in a world that she made better. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Andrew Koch. I am Margie's uh, youngest. I was uh, was actually reading letters last night uh, between uh, Graham and Grandpa that Uncle Mark um, referenced earlier, um, between she and my grandpa um, when he lived in Colorado and and she lived in New York. Um, First off, she called him Kenny, which is really adorable. I had never heard that before, uh, but I love thinking about that. Uh, she also talked about uh, lovely, the cute little things, like about how her favorite cat, who would guard her from snakes, but was too fat to actually do anything about them, <laughs> sitting at her feet. Um, and she described a late night treat of Hershey's Kisses as inspired morsels. <laughs> These are all lovely little glimpses of a younger Kay I never knew, but definitely the playful and quick grandma that I loved. You all heard from Shirley and Mark just now um, about how she shared a life and that had impact throughout decades and generations. Because my grandmother mentored Shirley, when my name came across Shirley's provost's desk at Westmont, 
she thought it was time for a Lindley to come to California. <laughs> now, Shirley didn't know me from any of my other amazing cousins, probably much more worthy of going to California. Um, but with my grandma's rep backing me, I got the nod. I happily accepted the challenge of living in Santa Barbara. <laughs> and the opportunities that California brought me shaped my life, molded my character and faith, and thankfully introduced me to Molly, who I wouldn't have married otherwise. Grandma didn't make it to our wedding, but when she got to meet Molly, I was happy to share it was because of her that we were together. She was responsible for so many stories like that. And I can't imagine what my life and all of ours uh, would have been without her making those playful, powerful, inspired ripples in the pond. I love her. I'll miss how she called animals critters and most of us rascals. I wasn't the only rascal, right? <laughs> um, I'll miss her incredible cabinet of decadent cereals. And I will miss how hard she hugged. It's something I remember clearly. It would be lovely for all of us to keep that one going strong and keep even those small ripples flowing out. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing. It's, I appreciate um, the chance to remember my grandma with all of you today. Thank you for your kind attention, those of you who are here from Houghton and remember her in other ways. So thanks for being here. Would you now join me in prayer and then we'll sing a, a closing hymn together. <clears throat> Gracious God, we thank you for this time together. You faithfully encounter your people in worship. You're always ready to meet with us and you have been faithful to us again. We thank you once more for the life of Catherine Lindley. We grieve that such grace and wisdom and beauty are given to each of us for only a season in this life. And we yearn, O oh God, for the promised resurrection. We long for the day death will be finally defeated. We long for the day when your ancient purposes for us will be realized. A life lived in harmony with you and each other and ourselves. A life lived without the corrosion and grit of the sin and injustice that takes its toll on our life together and even on our very bodies. Haste the day when the faith shall be sight, O gracious God. Come, Lord Jesus. But for today, on this side of eternity, our faith is still the evidence of things unseen. So it is in that faith that we return, Catherine Lindley, to you. We know that she has always been yours. Indeed, it is that knowledge that freed her to be the person she was. We know we have no rightful claim upon her presence, but we will miss her. So gather her into your care as a loving father. Show her your heart, which she has so longed to see. And gather us too, Father, into your care. Speak peace to us through each other, through your word, through your sacraments, through the songs we sing, and through your still small voice that reminds us that you are truer even than a mother to us. Care for her and for us until that great day when the dead in Christ shall rise, when all of your people are caught up to meet you. Reunite us on that day of resurrection, the day on which you reap your harvest, of which Christ is the first fruits. And now strengthen us for your service. Open our hearts more fully to your love. Free us for joyful obedience so we can love each other well and speak words of grace and wisdom and truth all our days. 
for our sake and for the life of the world. Amen. Stand as we sing.
The weather has uh, prevented us from being able to go to the cemetery, so we are going to offer the words of committal here at the church. Let me just read for you Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. For as much as it has pleased Almighty God in his wise providence to take out of the world the soul of Catherine Wahlberger Lindley, we therefore commit her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, looking for the resurrection and the life of the world to come through our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose second coming the corruptible bodies of those who sleep in him shall be changed and shall be made like unto his glorious body, according to his mighty power, by which he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Amen. If you're uh, able to join us for lunch, we have a, a lunch reception down in the church community room, which you're welcome to now. And would you now receive the benediction? It's taken from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or even imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.